Welcome and thank you for taking the time to listen to the Word of God released through Randolph Barnwell. Randolph is the founder and senior elder of Gate Ministries Durban Central. Be encouraged to access free additional resources for your edification at randolphbonnell.com. Great grace, peace, and mercy from Christ be multiplied to you as you listen to this teaching. We're still dealing with the broad topic of the primacy of the word of the Lord. And then we're looking at the trichotomous nature of man, the trinal nature of man. The fact that man is a tripartite being, he's, he is, we said, he is spirit, soul, and, and body. All three parts were made by God, and all three have a unique function in life, right? In your body, you live on the world, in the physical matter. You relate in the earth, in a physical body made of the dust of the earth. But all that is to you, is not only that which can be seen of you. So if you look at your body, your body is not your entirety. The totality of all you represent is not only made up of that which is visible. So while you see this dirt suit, your body is 100% dirt. You are made from the dirt or the dust of the ground. The chemical composition of the human body is equivalent to that of Sand, okay? So the Lord God formed Adam from the dust of the ground and formed this soma is the Greek term for body. So when you die, dust to dust, ashes to ashes. From that realm you came, to that realm you will return. But there's more to you than that. That, this body, simply gives you um, functionality in an earth-based context. The fact that you're on the world You live in a physical body. But God gave you two things in this body that is contained. That's why I drew it like this. In this body, you have two other invisible parts to you. The one is called spirit and the other is called soul. Your your spirit part is that part of you that literally gives you life. Because James says, the body without the spirit is dead. When Jesus died, what did he say? The Bible says he gave up his spirit. He gave up the ghost, his spirit. So the spirit dynamic in man is that which enlivens the body, right? The soul aspect of man is that world consciousness that gives you being or personality, right? And through the five senses of the body, through your sight, your ears, uh, your, your hearing, sorry, your, your, your sight, your hearing, your taste, your touch, your smell. You're able to interact with the world intelligibly, comprehensibly, while still in a body. The thing is this. When God wants to engage you, this is what I'm stressing. He, the spirit of truth, he, the spirit of God, comes to you in a In a voice, not so? That voice is communicated through someone. In this diagram, we referenced it as a spiritual father, a preacher, someone who is teaching you the the word of the Lord. That word, the landing spot of it, the place where you hear it and engage it, has got to be 
with your spirit, not primarily with your soul. Both your spirit and your soul has got a mind, your thinking, an emotion, how you feel, and a will, what you decide. Both your soul and your spirit have those three components. Sometimes when God speaks as a voice to you, if you encode it or receive it in those aspects of your soul, for example, which are unregenerate, unrenewed, unchanged. At salvation, when you said yes to the Lord and you were born again, your entire spirit man was regenerated. Right? Your spirit was made new. Your soul, however, is progressively being renewed through time. Right? So you are renewed by the, uh, Romans 12 says, be renewed by the renewing of your mind. The venue of most Christians' challenge is in the area of the mind of the soul, right? And sometimes you have this dualistic position within you where there's an acceding, an agreement, a concurring. You're saying yes to that which you're hearing. Your spirit is totally alive to God. And you find, for example, in terms of the conflict between the mind of the spirit versus the mind of the soul, that with your mind you understand. So there can be an immediate understanding and engagement with certain spiritual truth you hear with the mind of your spirit. The mind of your soul, which has not yet been enlightened, might rebel against something that internally, intuitively, in your spirit dimension, you are saying yes to, but maybe through experience, maybe through your history, maybe through your upbringing, or maybe through wrong theological training or teaching, the unrenewed, darkened areas of your soul can rebel against the light of truth that that you're receiving in your spirit. Now, I want to have time to go through the entirety of all that we did in the last two sessions. Um, But I really want to encourage you, this week more than ever, sitting under the voice of of seasoned men in the Word, I was more committed to exploring this theme more fully. Right? Um, It's a pity that, because this is a subject, this is a module all by itself. Right? Our focus in this session is, we're dealing with the primacy of the Word of the Lord. My focus here is, Yes, when you hear this word from God, make sure you receive it on the platform of your spirit. Your spirit is supposed to lead your soul. Another way of stating this is, your soul should blindly follow the leading of your spirit. Right? And bring your body into subjection through obedience. So when you actually obey something, it is proof. The spirit of that person's in charge. Hmm? Even though you can sometimes obey something in God simply because it's received in your spirit. Right? With your with the will of the spirit, you decide, I will do this, even though in the mind and in the the will of my soul might rebel against that. So how did Jesus pray in the garden before he was crucified? 
Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering pass me by, but not my will be done, but your will be done. So I subject natural inclinations and I, in the flesh, and I subject that to the dictates of your will that I'm agreeing to in the mind of my spirit. Okay? That's basically where we went. Now, we said last week that the mind of the soul must be subject to the mind of the spirit. The will of the soul must be subject to the will of the spirit. Even the emotion of the soul must be subject, this is a hard one, the emotion of the soul must be subject to the emotion of the of the of the spirit because people are prone to emotion being emotional or to emotional vacillations like yo-yos or what they call these rides roller coasters right like a like an emotional roller coaster right it is possible in god while you engage a situation designed to depress you by the enemy by satan that you can walk through it having a sense of, of quick um, turnaround time, right? So you can grieve, but you don't grieve without any hope, right? Or you don't allow your negative emotional state of the soul to impact your obedience to something that you're saying yes to in your spirit. I find this... People agree, but they allow the negative emotion of the soul to impact their resolve to obey God. All right? So, for example, it says of David, David encouraged himself in the Lord is God. Right? You've got to learn to encourage yourself. There's a verse in your note from last session in Exodus where it says, The Lord God spoke to Moses, and Moses came to Israel, and Moses said this to Israel. Um, the Lord God has sent me to deliver you. And the Bible says the people did not do what? The people did not listen to Moses. Why? Because of their great despondency. Your great negative emotional state can cause you to not listen, even though it's a word coming through, a sent one in this case, Moses. You're not picking it up with your, with your spirit but your emotional negativity, that is so predominant, it cuts off the voice of the Lord. Or your resolve to obey it. Okay? So, it, it, I'm not saying that you're going to go to life being the most happiest person every day. That you'll never be prone to having an off day or a bad day. But I'm saying, even in those instances, your spirit man is so developed that the negative state of your emotions do not pose a threat to your walking in God's ways. Right? So even, um, even if I'm in the vortex of, of, of depression or anxiety, I can still rise above that and live a life of obedience and say yes to all of God's ways. Amen? That is where we want to be. It's called the spiritual man. Right? Otherwise, we'll all be emotional zombies. Right? Totally prone to um, 
happenings in our world, in our family, um, where we work. Amen. Um, your notes tonight is where we want to go. I've been referring to the three kinds of sons, three kinds of sons of God that exist on the earth. Three kinds of sons in reference to three kinds of states that determine each kind of son. Now, these three states are spiritual, natural, and carnal. Right? Paul identifies three kinds of states in reference to sons of God. And he writes a letter to the Corinthians, and in a few verses in 1 Corinthians 2, and then also in 1 Corinthians 3 from verse 1 onwards, you can discern three categories of people, right? Now, let's read. Just a paragraph before we read. Paragraph 2 there. The content of what God chooses to release in His speaking, your hearing of God's word, and the resultant intended outcome of obedience is seriously influenced by whether you, as a son of God, function spiritually, naturally, or, or carnally. Okay? Now, I really want to encourage us all. The best place is to function spiritually. You're either a spiritual man, you're a natural man, or you're a carnal individual. Now, you'll see these three states in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, from verse 9 onwards. Let's read. Paul says, But just as it is written, things which the eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, and which has not entered into the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is from God, so that we might freely know the things we know the things freely given to us by God, which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual, the spiritual man, he can appraise all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one or by, by none. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he might instruct him? But we have the, the mind of, of Christ. Right? Look at verse 14 again. The natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned or spiritually appraised. Now, the Greek word for natural, as you can see, is soukikos. 
we get the word psych, the psych of man, or psychology from this word. So the psych man, the psychikos man, is the totally natural man. He is the son of God. He is born again. He has said yes to the Lord. Right? I'm not talking about somebody in the world as natural versus someone that's in the Lord as spiritual Lord. Please remember, this letter is addressed to a church. Paul here is writing to people in the house. Right? And he describes people in the house either as spiritual, natural, or carnal. And so... Um, the spiritual man is the sukikos man. And sukikos means this. It pertains to or governed by natural instincts. Pertaining to the natural as distinguished from the spiritual or glorified nature of man. Okay? Now look at verse 9. Go back to verse 9. Just as it is written... Things which eye has not seen nor ear heard, and that which has not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who will love him. Now, we've often quoted the scripture. I, in times past in worship, have sung songs based upon these, <laughs> the, the scripture. And we often say, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. Now that verse is only the experience of a natural man. The natural man is the Son of God who blocks off certain things that God has for him. To the natural man, those things are unheard and those things cannot be perceived with his sight. Right? Now, why I say that? Look at the next verse. Because verse 10 says, For to us, God has what? Has revealed Him by the Spirit. So please note, verse 9 is not for the spiritual man. Verse 9 is for the natural man. Verse 9, the natural man cannot access the things that God has prepared for him. The natural man may love God, but has chosen, listen carefully, to function by his natural soulish instincts rather than by his spirit. Please remember another way for a description of the natural man. The natural man is the suke man. Suke the soul. The natural man is the sukikots, the soul man. I'm a soul man. Remember that song? Please don't sing that song. You'd rather sing I'm a spirit man. The soul man, he's a man of his environment. He's a man of context. He's a man who lives in the world, in his body, but his entire life is driven by his attempt to be successful in a natural, physical, world environment, and through his five senses, attempt to make the best of life. The light of God's word that should illuminate his spirit and so inform his soul, that dynamic is cut off from him. He's natural in that he functions by innate, natural 
instincts to survive in the world. Now Paul says, I has not seen, neither ears heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him. But the next verse says, but God has revealed them to us by his, by his spirit. Go over to page two. By his spirit. For me, the natural man, listen carefully, has not allowed the word of God, which is light to his spirit, to have its full and total effect. Right? On the top of page two, I said this in bold, an unrenewed soul, still in the position of dominance and ascendancy over a renewed spirit, represents a barrier to actualize these things. The spiritual resource freely given to us through the word of the Lord. Right? So, just look at the diagram here. If this red area is the unrenewed area of your soul, you are born again, you've accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. But there are darkened areas in your understanding, the mind of your soul, that the light of the word of God has not illuminated and you have not made adjustments in your thought, in your thinking, in your behavior, and you've not modeled obediently in your body or your lifestyle that truth, that dynamic, that principle vested in the word of the Lord. Now, if that area of unrenewal is so, it hasn't been subjected to the dictates of a word-illuminated spirit, it can be so strong that it can pose, it can pose a serious barrier or to prevent you from accessing new things that God wants to freely give you by His Spirit. Right? Unless you take uh, um, cognizance, you realize in that area, um, let's say an area of unforgiveness, if you're wrecked by bitterness and you're holding grudges as someone has hurt you 10 years ago, let's say, and you never want to forgive the person, even though you sit under Bible studies where uh, God beckons you to live a life of forgiveness and deliver the bitterness of your soul, and you refuse to obey, guess what? That unrenewed area of your soul becomes a fortress in you, and it's going to prevent you from accessing not just the blessings attendant with forgiveness, but a host of other things that God wants to freely give you. The unrenewed soul represents a barrier to the renewed spirit to access other things from God. Right? That is why when an, a soul in its entire, entirety brought in alignment to a word-illuminated spirit, that person is one of the most powerful people in the hands of God. Why? There represents no um, this dualistic tension in him to receive the things that God wants to disclose to him. Right? So he doesn't have to work through darkness or rebellion from the domain of his soul to access the things that God has in store for him. Remember when Peter wanted to... Um, God wanted to use Peter to go to Cornelius' house, Acts 10, I think. Arise, Peter, kill and, kill and, eat. So, there was something that God wanted to download to Peter 
used Peter as an apostle to go to Gentiles, non-Jews. Cornelius was an Italian. And to minister the gospel to that household. What prevented Peter initially from accepting that? Right? God shows him the vision of unclean element, uh, animals by, by Jewish estimation. I assume pigs and others and, and other animals. He saw in a vision and God says to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. So the, un, the darkened area of Peter's theological soul mind said, No, I can't eat animals which by Jewish definition are unclean. So God, the vision occurred three times and God said to Peter, How dare you call unclean that which I have called Clean. So what, what did Peter have to do? He had to literally bring, allow the light of the new word from God to remove the darkness of his understanding in his soul. Otherwise, he would have forfeited and aborted the privilege of ushering one of the first groups of Gentiles in the book of Acts into the kingdom. And not just the first group, a significant group. This household was Cornelius' household. And he was a ruler. He was a, a leader. So think about what Peter could have forfeited had he not brought his soul in its understanding into alignment with what the Spirit was leading him into. Now, how much do you and I forfeit today? We say no to certain truth. We say no to certain biblical principles. Why? There's this battle and fight within us. This tension between. And you concur with your spirit. You're saying, yes, this sounds so right. This feels so right. But there's this rebellion from the domain of my soul. And sometimes we don't make the adjustment quickly, quickly enough. And we disobey. And we, we negate or we abort what, what 1 Corinthians 2 says, the thing that God wants to freely give to us by His Spirit. Okay? Uh, may we never get to that place. Our position should be to, to, to develop a, a, a spirit man that is so strong, so dominant, that is able to bring the soul into, sub, into subjection. Now, the problem with the natural man is this. He is so focused on his soul that his soul develops in dominance. The natural man is opposite to the, the spiritual man. His spirit man is in control. The natural man is soulish. Right? He's the suke or the sukikos man functioning and is led by literally his soul. Right? And that represents a barrier to him receiving things from the spirit of the Lord. Go back to page one quickly. I need to highlight something. Verse 14, I want to read it again. This natural man, the Sukikos soul man, there's two sort of things we want to focus on. The Bible says he does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Right? Can we repeat that? He does not accept the things. Now, you've got to get this into your understanding. A natural man does not accept the things of that the Spirit brings to the Word to him. So the Spirit can bring all he, the Spirit, wants to, to the natural man, but the natural man, the suke, the soulish man, says, 
No. Don't want those things. Now, why is, is there this inability or sometimes blatant refusal, this incapacity rather, and this rejection of things brought to him by God? There are two reasons cited. Look at them. Number one, they are, they are what? Foolishness to him. And secondly, well, they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now watch verse 14. Read verse 14 again slowly. He does not accept the things of the Spirit for they are foolishness. There's a semicolon there. So why don't I accept them? They are foolishness. The semicolon gives a second reason. Why cannot this natural man understand things of the Spirit? He cannot understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually appraised. Now go back to page 2. Those two reasons are isolated in the two um, hyphens there. The natural man has two barriers that prevent him from accessing things of the Spirit. Number one, his low estimation of spiritual things. They are foolishness to him. Thus, he cannot accept them. And secondly, his inability to appraise spiritual things because he functions predominantly with the mind of his soul. Right? It says here, he cannot understand them because they are spiritually estimated, appraised, or judged. Right? So, I don't accept them because I regard them as foolish. I, I devalue the weight of the thing. So I don't accept it. Secondly, I do not understand it because I'm using the wrong platform within me to judge it. Right? I'm using the wrong platform within me to, to judge it. Now, the spiritual man is exactly the opposite. We'll, we'll come to that um, in, a, in a short space of time. It's like the natural man consistently uses the unrenewed platform of the soul to judge whether spiritual things are authentic or not. So the natural man will easily reject something valid that God is bringing to him for two reasons. So if, if I am God, let's say clay is the natural man. I hope you're not, but just assume. Right? Clay is natural in her thinking. She's supposed to be a spiritual man, a son of God. She's saved, born again, probably will go to heaven when she dies. In the kingdom, we are concerned now that we develop our maturity in the house. But if she's largely still naturally minded, she is still using as a GPS, so to speak, within her. She's using unrenewed aspects of her soul to govern her direction in life. So if the Spirit of the Lord brings something fresh and new to her, she uses the wrong instrumentation in her to appraise a frequency that is spirit. A frequency that is spirit cannot be judged by the instrumentation of an unrenewed soul. Right? You're using the wrong instrumentation to measure a reality that's not compatible with your instrument. Hmm? 
What's the no? Uh, no, we lost the science. Yeah, Chris, you should know these things. What's the instrument to you to measure what temperature is? Thermometer, easy. Eh? What is the instrument used to measure rainfall? Anyone? Rain gauge. Barometer is used to measure what? Pressure. Is it pressure? Hope it's right. Is it recorded? <laughs> okay, it's right. Right? See, so if I say I go measure the temperature out there, you can't take a rain gauge and start to. <laughs> wrong, the wrong instrumentation, using the wrong instrumentation to measure your variable or your, your criteria. Now, similarly, in the kingdom, you can't use an unrenewed soul to judge spiritual things. The two fields are not compatible. You can't use the one to measure the other. And I'm saying to us, now please, this is going to help you to judge things. Right? This is going to help you to judge things. It'll even help you to judge people and appraise people accurately. Because sometimes we look at people through the lens of our fallen soul. And you judge people based upon maybe their past failings or maybe your past failings. And you're not looking at them with divine spectacles from the platform of your spirit. And so you appraise, that's why Paul says from now on, we know no man after the flesh. So the the natural suke man has got this incapacity for the reception of spiritual spirit things. Why? The gate is closed. Um, there's an in, don't be distracted by that now. Right? Be spiritual now. <laughs> Not natural men. Okay. I know we live in a natural environment. Just one of the gentlemen can go see just to check what's happening out. Now, the spirit man or, or the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit. Right? Because they are spiritually discerned from the platform of your spirit and not with the unrenewed um, instrumentation of your of your soul. So last a few weeks ago we said in John 6, for example, Jesus said, unless a man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he's got no part of me. He said that. The people thought he was teaching cannibalism. Eat my flesh. What happened? About 5,000 disciples. Everyone say disciples. These were not just followers of people streaming after him. These were disciples, the scripture says very clearly, followers of Christ. The Bible says they deserted him. Why? Because what he said was a hard saying, difficult to assimilate. Right? So failure to understand what he said caused them to leave him. Why? Because they attempted to make sense of words which were spirit. But they, 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 they interpreted him literally. Eat his flesh, drink his blood. It's a very simple example of how you can reject something spiritual because you're trying to measure it and engage it with the wrong instrumentation. Right? Jesus wasn't teaching cannibalism. Jesus was teaching symbolically you must assimilate the entirety of, of my life into your life. Right? A failure to understand that caused many to leave him. 
Okay? Many to leave him. And he said to Peter and, and the, the 12 disciples, will you go also? Peter says, where can we go? Because you have what? You have what? Words of eternal life. And most often, listen carefully, the man, the, the, the natural man, the sukikos man, he's offended because of words that he hears because he fails to accurately appraise truth. Right? He fails to accurately comprehend and appraise truth. But go to the spiritual man. Go to the spiritual man. The spiritual man is, the Greek word is pneumatikos. Everyone say pneumatikos. Ask him what kind of course are you eating? <laughs> the natural man is sukikos. The spiritual man is pneumatikos. Pneuma, the, the, the prefix pneuma is spirit. Right? You, the term spirit. Now consider the following. The meaning is, it's use of persons who are spiritual, enlightened by the Holy Spirit, enjoying the influences, graces, and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Remember your spirit man, if you look at the diagram, your spirit man is the interface between you and the Spirit of the Lord. The Holy Spirit, listen carefully, anything divine, anything from the unseen heavenly realm, when it comes to you, must land on the platform of your spirit. With your spirit, you have to engage he, the spirit of, the spirit of truth. The spiritual man, his spirit is enlivened, is alive, is renewed, is regenerated. And not just that, it is developed in, in strength. So strong, it leads the soul and is able to um, bring the, the dictates and the pulls, the fleshly lusts of the body in check. His spirit is so strong. I'll talk about that next week. Fletchly lusts. And how that carnality, the carnal man, the sarkikos man, how that can pose a threat to receiving the word of the, the Lord. But the spiritual man, um, look in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 44. It says, concerning your body, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul, and the last man, Adam, which is Christ, became a life-giving spirit. When Adam fell, he became a living soul. He became a natural man operating from his sukikos. Christ, the last Adam, it says he functions from the platform of a life-giving, a life-giving Spirit. Now, just go on to the next page. Remember we said in 1 Corinthians 2 that the eye has not seen, neither has the ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. But the very next verse is, but by the Spirit we can know the things that God has freely given to us. Everyone say, by the Spirit. It's important this truth sort of cements in your understanding. If I'm a son of God on the earth, I can 
only receive anything from God in the heavens by His Spirit. The Spirit is He who brings all the resource, if you would, of God from the heavens to me. He's the vehicle, He's the agency. His primary point of interface with me is my spirit. He wants my spirit man to develop so strong that it literally brings every aspect of the soul into subjection and then can cause the body to walk in lifestyle, in practical behavior, obediently into that which was unveiled to me in the landscape of my spirit man. This spirit man, as a spirit that is so in touch, so in tune with the, with the Holy Spirit. Unlike, listen carefully, let me, before I go there, there's a verse uh, I, I put in here, Deuteronomy 29 verse 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed belong to us and to sorry, our sons forever, that we might observe the words of this law. Right? Who loves secrets? You love knowing other people's secrets. Okay. The Bible says God has secrets. There's a lovely verse in Psalms. Psalms 30 says, The secrets of God are with those that fear Him. There's an intelligence and a knowledge that God has, revelation stored up, that He calls secrets. They are mysteries. They're not disclosed to everybody. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says, The secrets of God... The secret things belong to God, but, I like the but there, but there are things that are revealed to us. They are ours. They belong to us. God has got some secrets that belong to you, in other words, and he wants to disclose them to you. There's much that on God's heart that he wants you to know. You will only know those deep things of God. If you allow His Spirit to work within the landscape of your spirit, you can freely know the things that God has given to you. In the latter part of the verse says, what is the ultimate purpose? That you might observe. The word observe there is obey. That you might through obedience practically walk out the revelation and live it before men on the earth. Okay? Now, the, the heading after the paragraph says, note two things about the spiritual man, things unattainable by the natural man. Number one, the spiritual man, unlike the natural, he can appraise what? Spiritual things. And so he can understand them. Remember, the natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit, cannot accept them because they are spiritually appraised. With the spiritual man, by deduction, that which is closed off to the natural is open to the spiritual. He can receive the things that God has freely given to him. What I want to awaken your, your heart to tonight is you are eligible to know things on God's heart for you. There's a realm that is not closed off to you. There's a vault, if you would, of treasure, of knowledge, of information that God wants for you. There, there are barriers preventing your accessing those things. One of the barriers is that maybe in terms of the natural versus the spiritual, we are far too soulish in life. Right? And the soul 
um, the, 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 the functioning by the soul dynamic rep represents a barrier, particularly if the unrenewed areas of those souls are so in such dominance in our lives. That no matter what we hear, and even if it's, it's received here in this part of our spirit, this part is so predominant that it eclipses any light or revelation that we are exposed to. So we are largely natural, and so we hear it, but we say foolish, foolish. Things of God to the natural man are foolishness, it says. Wherever you disestimate or you devalue a thing, you will not receive that thing. Right? And you cannot understand them because you're using the wrong platform to determine its accuracy or its validity. Right? Cannot be received. Look at the second paragraph there. Oh, let me read the whole thing because of time. The spiritual man, unlike the natural, can appraise spiritual things and so understand them. He has the technology for engaging eternal things and resource or revelation that God has desires or God desires to show him. This technology isn't what is the technology? Everyone say I have the technology. If I say, Do you have the technology to know the things that God has freely given to you? If you say yes, it is. This is it, Miriam. It is an acutely developed spirit consciousness within you. His spirit is intensely connected to the spirit of the Lord through the, through the word of the Lord. Look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. For this reason also, what did Paul say? Since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you might be filled with the knowledge of His will in what wisdom? Right? In Eumatikos wisdom. In spiritual wisdom and understanding. So that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Verse 10 is the ultimate. We want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul says, I want you church at Colossia to be filled with the knowledge of His will. But your knowledge must be in spiritual wisdom and understanding. In spiritual wisdom and understanding. The next paragraph, there is a wisdom and understanding that is spiritual in nature, as contrasted with an understanding and wisdom that is natural or sensual. The outward behavioral manifestation of natural sensual wisdom has elements of bitter jealousy and selfish Ambition. You'll see that in James chapter 3 from verse 13 to 18. Verse 15 of that portion says, The wisdom that is, which does not come from above is earthly, natural, sukikos, demonic. Right? So, watch. Somebody who is natural, soulish, can speak wisdom. But the Bible calls that wisdom, it's not from above. Right? They can speak wisdom to you, but that wisdom is earthly. It is sensual or, or natural, as this, this version says. Right? And in context, it, it might lead or be result in bitter jealousy and selfish ambition as negative fruit in the ones that have received this wisdom. 
So there is a knowledge, if you would, there's a, 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 a level of understanding that the soulish man can give. Now let me just say this. Most of our academic institutions, our learning centers, globally, are built upon the platform of the soulish man. Right? There's a host of learning, education that is taking place, the fruit of which leads people far away from God than to Him. But Paul says, I want you to be filled with knowledge, but in spiritual wisdom. Wisdom that comes from, from above. And the spiritual man is able to receive this. Now tell your neighbor, I'm able to know things from God. Please assert this for your life. When, uh, when you leave here, don't leave this. I don't want, I'm taking my time, I'm going very slowly this evening. I don't want you, leave, you to leave here with an academic impartation. I want you to leave here and say whether you go to your work environment on Monday morning or to a family meeting, whatever context, and it's, it's, it's tense or it's not holistic, harmonious. There might be tension in relationships. It might be highly schismatic, characterized by division, trial, difficulty, or whatever. But when you're walking, you're walking so empowered, you walk with your spirit man enriched. Right? And all your responses are not based on their level. Why? You have an intelligence, a divine intelligence, a wisdom that has filled your spirit man. And even though a problem might present itself to you, you don't function from the platform as a natural man. You function being informed by knowledge that comes from from above. This is possible. Okay? This intelligence is spiritual in nature and it's possible to live a normal, ordinary life as a human being but functioning from a higher plane, a higher platform of what, what some religions call enlightenment. We don't call it enlightenment, right? For fear that we will be associated with that, that religion. But we call it um, just a a, a spiritual man. It's a spiritual man. It's a man whose spirit has been so enlivened. And then the second point, the spiritual man, unlike the natural man, has an affinity and high estimation for the worth and value of spiritual things. And so he accepts them. Right? They are not foolishness to him. Turn over the page. Right? I think that the fact that you came tonight to listen to the Bible study is proof of the fact that you apprise spiritual things. That you, you will not sit here for an hour, an hour and a half and waste your time. You deem this important enough because why you put a high price on something that's going to come to me from God. right? So the fact that you are here means you love God's word. To you it's like gold, it's treasure, it's esteemed very highly. Let me just say this. The first requirement for you to access the secret things of God is to value them highly. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit because he says that's foolishness. He devalues the weight, the worth, and the, the weight of it. Right? So the thing that you cherish, you will strive after. You will pursue. Right? Now in Proverbs 25, verse 2, it says, 
It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to do what? To search out the matter. I want to encourage you to adopt a searching nature. Be inquisitive. I mean, this is a good inquisitive. <laughs> this is a good inquisitiveness. I think there's a word like that. Right? I mean, say inquisition. Um, you must be, you must have a searching heart for the deep things of God. Nothing comes of any value from God's treasure chest to the person that doesn't adopt a searching disposition. You've got to search. When the times now read the scriptures and I can spend hours trying to make sense of something, it's to the searching heart that things are disclosed. If you simply, uh, and at times it's, you have to push long hours, wait for God uh, before the Lord in prayer, you're studying you're doing word searches. You're reading other versions of the scripture to make sense. All of that is part of your inquiry. And the inquiry mind God meets and he discloses. The spiritual man is a searching man. Right? Blessed, what is the Beatitudes, Matthew 5? Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So I want to encourage you, what is the degree of your search? What is your quest? Is there a hunger? Right? Is there a hunger? But look at it. Look, read it again. It says, It's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to do what? To search out. God is a genius in how he hides himself in the word. He says, I will hide things and I expect you to search it out. Okay? But it's the glory of kings. What do kings do? Generally, you rule. So, in this sense, in this verse, your capacity to, have, to rule in life and have dominion is directly contingent upon how you search to find things out. No searching and drawing out from the heavens to you, no rulership and no dominion in life. Otherwise, you will live life on the platform of most other individuals in life, which is the soul, the soulish platform. But God wants you to elevate, and it's like every situation that you'll ever encounter, you will always have the unfair advantage. Because you're functioning from a, an enlivened spirit perspective. Right? So train yourself next time you enter the room. Maybe your colleagues, or your friends, or whichever, your family. I mean, don't say this arrogantly, but just assert your position in God. Say, I enter this from an elevate. It's like you're looking at everybody from the roof down. Not naturally, but symbolically. Right? And you can see where everyone is. You know, Jesus functioned like this. That's why no trick question from the domain of soul, from Pharisees, could trick him. He was always like one step ahead of them. Right? That is why in this realm, you will not be easily offended. You will not be easily depressed or affected in the area of your, of your soul. So let me ask you this. Who wants to rule in life? Who wants to be a king in life? It's the glory of God to hide things. But only kings in nature search it out. So if you're an inquiring person, it tells me you are kingly. You have rulership capacity in you. 
if you inquire to search the things out that God by His Spirit wants to freely disclose to you. Hmm? Thomas said once that the, the, the degree of your revelation will determine the degree of your rulership in life. And it's true. Okay? Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed that unto you. Right? I will build my church in the gates of hell will not prevail against that which I build. Part of the principle there is that Peter had what? Revelation of Jesus' identity. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, you are blessed because you know something about me that the Father disclosed to you. And hell, the gates of hell, do not prevail against that dynamic. The dynamic of the fact that your spirit man is in contact with the Father in the heavens and he shows you things. The gates of hell, the onslaught of the enemy will not prevail against a, a man or a woman filled with revelation, a spiritual man functioning in the earth. Okay? Let's actually go there. There's the verse um, I referenced it at the bottom of your, of, your, of your page. But, okay, just before we go there, okay, let, let's leave the middle part out because it will, it will cause us to digress a bit. Matthew 16, verse 15. He said to them, who, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid, Lord, this shall never happen to you. He turned again and said to Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You are setting your mind. And not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. Compare verse 17 to verse 23. Notice what Jesus says to Simon in verse 17. I can just picture him. Think about this. The whole group is there. So Jesus says, who am I? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I can just see Jesus maybe coming in. Patting on the back. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Well done, my boy. Flesh and blood has not done what? Everyone say revealed. Flesh and blood. This information has not come from humans. Flesh and blood did not disclose that to you. But my Father, who is in heaven, has unveiled a secret to you about my identity. Well done. Blessed. Everyone say blessed. Now, isn't that powerful? I can just see Peter. Uh, I'm the one, guys. Of the twelve, you know, I got the revelation. You know, revelation knowledge puffs up, the Bible says. Right? It was disclosed to me, not to you guys. I can just see Peter. You know, Peter in his typical character. Right? But the Bible says, immediately, Jesus says, now that you know that, listen, chaps, they're going to kill me, I'm going to die. Peter says, how can you die? You can't die. Now, Get behind me, Satan. Same Jesus says, well done. 
Next sentence, he's rebuking the guy. Peter went from spiritual man to natural man in one conversation. Let me just say this. This is a this, this teaching is very tough, I know. You can in one sentence vacillate from being spiritual, and in the next your next sentence you're thinking like a natural man. Wonderful revelation, Peter, you know who I am. I'm the son of the living God. But Peter, listen carefully, failed to comprehend how that revelation is going to work itself out practically in the earth. Right? He failed to understand it. And I've said this to you before. Do you think Peter's motivation was pure and honorable? Yes, I think so. When when Jesus said, I'm going to die, I think he didn't want Jesus to die. Who would want their master to die? Right? So he was thinking like a natural man. Right? So he was, there was, if you look in the middle of your page at the bottom there where those arrows are, Peter's inaccurate position was probably motivated by two factors. Number one, genuine concern for Jesus' welfare. And number two, a misunderstanding of Jesus as a political deliverer from Roman oppression. Do you know the disciples thought that this master of theirs, this son of God, was the Messiah which they thought was a political deliverer to, 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 to free Israel from Roman oppression. So failure to comprehend how the revelation would outplay itself caused Peter to think naturally. It is possible for you to access accurate revelation in your spirit, but there's an area of unrenewal in your soul by which you are still uh, relying upon to, to work out the mechanics of how that will play itself out. And when you do that, you suffer the potential or the possibility of disobeying God or missing his, his, his way. In the note, I say something about it's not only enough to know God's will, you must also know God's way. Right? The will is accessing the revelation. The way is how to administrate the revelation. The access of revelation and the administration thereof both must be done from the platform of one's spirit. Think about this. And how often do you and I make the same mistake? We know what? We don't know how. We know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now the same Christ tells you, I'm going to die, but you're still thinking that the way in which the Christ, the Son of the living God, is going to play itself out in the earth is by delivering us from the Romans. Now you tell me you're going to die. So I oppose you, you can't die. And what did Jesus say to him? Jesus' address, it's called the law of double reference. Looking to a man, but addressing the satanic influence in his mind. Get behind me. Who? I mean, Jesus could have been polite, not so. Jesus could have said, Peter, listen, you're thinking wrongly, my son in the Lord, my disciple. You're thinking wrongly right now. Let me educate you of why I really came to the earth. I have to die to take away the sins. I haven't come here for political reasons. Jesus was so forthright. You know why Jesus realized... Jesus suddenly realized 
Peter went from father to Satan. Father has revealed this to you, but now you've allowed your mind to be influenced by a satanic thought. So, and Jesus was forceful. Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense. Offense is the Greek word scandalon, from which we get, uh, the word scandalon was used as bait to trap animals. Jesus was saying, I see the bait, Satan. I will not fall for it. Right? I will not abort my eternal divine mission and take what is spiritual and reduce it into a political deliverance campaign against Romans. See the bait, I will not fall for it. You're an offense. And what did Jesus say to Peter? Jesus said to him, because you've set your mind. You've set your mind on things not of God, but of things of men, that men want. Political deliverance from an oppressive regime. Peter, you, you've now, you, you went from thinking like a spiritual man, and now you're succumbing to the dictates of natural pulls in the fallen, unrenewed states of your soul. Right? This was a very important lesson for me. You know why we often, I think sometimes, accessing knowledge is easy from God. The secrets are known to you. But now how do you practically administrate it? Sometimes you can know things by the Spirit and attempt to work it out in the soul, in the unrenewed area of your soul. And you bring abortion to the plans and the purposes of the, of the Lord. Abraham succumbed to a suggestion by Sarah to sleep with Hagar, and they produced an Ishmael. You will be a father of many nations, that was the promise. So what do I do? I take something spiritual and try to work it out my way, and I produce something in the flesh that will ultimately oppose even the promised son, Isaac, that will eventually come later. Both God's will and God's way must be known. Right? The accessing of revelation and the administration of that revelation, both must be, must be, must be equally known. Okay? Now go over to page 6. So the natural man is the sukikos, the spiritual man is the pneumatikos, the carnal man is the sarkikos. Do I have it? Oh yes, it is there, sorry. The carnal man is the sarkikos, right? Fleshly, pertaining to the flesh or the body. The tendency to satisfy the flesh, implying sinfulness, sinful propensity. Right? Um, could be said of things like your desires. First Peter 2 verse 11 speaks of fleshly lusts or carnal or carnal desires. In a carnal man, the fleshly nature of sin right, has dominance and finds expression through his physical body. He's consumed by a love for the world and its lusts. Now the scripture says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The, the, the carnal man, listen carefully, has not brought his natural basic base instincts in check. The natural man is overcome by unchecked sin, unbridled lust. Right? 
And it's not that, yes, he knows this is wrong, but he, he does nothing to bridle it, to bring it in check. It's unchecked, it's unbridled. And he allows the sin nature in him to predominate strongly. Now Paul speaks very strongly about this as uh, the carnal man. Listen carefully. Now, remember in 1 Corinthians 2, we just read it now, he talks about the natural versus the spiritual man. The natural man cannot receive the things of the spirit because they are spiritually appraised. Neither can he. He doesn't accept them because they're foolishness. He cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Right? Um, so, but the spiritual man, he says, knows all things. And he can access the things that God has freely given to us. And he ends chapter 3 on those terms. Or chapter 2. He starts chapter 3 like this. The nitty next chapter after that discussion, this is how he starts. He says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as pneumaticos. I couldn't speak to you as spiritual. But he says, you're not even natural. You are carnal. It's like, if you want an order of ranking, I think it's spiritual, natural, carnal. He addresses the Corinthians and he says, but when I, to you guys, I can't even talk to you like spiritual people. I can only address you for the state that you've entertained and that you've, you've developed in your character. And he says that is a carnal state. There's a carnality to you. I wrote in your notes, the carnal man is one who has not permitted his spirit to configure his soul. And so his flesh, his body, is left disempowered to war off various subtle temptations. I will show you next week, I won't have time for it now, but I'll show you next week, listen carefully, how a carnal man who... I'm not talking about a sinless man. I'm talking about one who entertains him, knows it's wrong. The scripture says, make no room for the flesh to fulfill its lust. But this carnal man makes sure he accommodates it, even plans for it. Right? It's habitual, it's repetitive, to the degree it becomes a characteristic feature of his life. Right? And I'll show you how that becomes a barrier, a literal how, how fleshly lusts, because the lusts of the flesh are expressed in the members of your body, most times. How that will have an adverse effect on the state of your soul and your spirit. And then what God has determined for you to freely know as a spiritual man is cut off from you. Carnality is a serious problem that must be dealt with. Now, look at how, how Paul says and talks to some of these issues in Romans chapter 8, verse 1 to 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. There are two laws there. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ and there's the law of sin and death. And Paul argues... What sets you free from the law of sin and death? It's the law of the? The Spirit sets you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. 
He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We do not walk according to the flesh, but we walk according to the Spirit. Now watch what he says. Those who are according to the flesh, where do they set their minds on? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. The difference is here between the spiritual man and the carnal man is where each one sets his mind. Right? Then Paul says, For the mind set on the flesh is what? Death. But the mind set on the Spirit is what? Life and peace. Three weeks from now, we'll do a whole study on biblical meditation. What does the Bible say about how, how can we meditate? But you know what the, the struggle is? The mind. If you can win the battle in your mind, you will be a victorious person. And we'll show you how biblical meditation is key for a spiritual man to bring his mind into subjection. The mindset on the flesh is death. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is what? It's hostile. This is a dangerous verse here. Is the mind, the carnal mind is hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to the law of God. And please, I should have underlined this, the last part. It is not even able to do so. If your mind has developed carnality, you will even develop or, or devolve to the place where even if you wanted to, you're not able. Right? That's why it's so serious that we deal with uh, our carnality and bring it into to check. Just in summary, I put it at, at the bottom. Listen carefully. Um, spiritual men deliberately set their minds on things of the, of, the, of the Spirit. Let me just say this to you. Whichever nature is going to predominate within you will be the nature that you feed the most. If you feed the Spirit nature... More than you do the carnal nature, the spirit nature will win. The spirit man deliberately sets his mind on the things of the spirit. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace. Please, what you sow, you will always reap. You sow to the spirit, Galatians, according to Galatians 5, you sow to the spirit, you spirit of the spirit reap eternal life. You sow to the flesh, you reap, the Bible says, corruption. Death and, and corruption. The carnal, carnal men, number two, deliberately set their mind on the things of the flesh. The mindset of the flesh does the following. It leads to death. It's hostile towards God. It does not subject itself to God's word. It's not able to subject itself to God's word. And it says in verse 8, it cannot please God. Right? Cannot please God. Now remember the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. How does faith come? Faith comes by the word of the Lord. A carnal man says cannot please God. So a carnal man cannot accept word that develops faith to please God. Right? The point is, if carnality is rife in your life, 
what it does, it negates the development of faith. Because you can be under the sound and you want to, but you're not even able to subject yourself to it. That's a dangerous place to be in it. Where you feel so disempowered. You want to, but you're unable to because of the strength and the power that the carnality has, to the degree that's grown in your life. Right? The Bible says Judas, what's it, Judas? Who's the guy who betrayed his brother for the birthright? Esau. Esau betrayed. So Jacob betrayed Esau for the birthright, for a bowl of soup. Remember? They traded. The Bible says in, uh, of Esau that Esau sought for repentance with strong tears, but he could not find it. And some versions of the Bible says he went past the place or the ability to repent. Dangerous, eh? Now, let me close off on page 7. I promise you will be about 10 minutes more. Just to, we may not finish all of this, but there's sufficient material for you to read on your own. On page 7, carnality is a barrier to hearing. Let's actually read what Paul says about this carnal man. That's what he says to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 to 4. I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual men, but as to men of the flesh. Um, please, uh, where it's got men of the flesh, just write there, carnal. I'm, I'm, I'm referencing here the New American Standard Version of the Bible. The King James Ashley says, I could not speak to you as spiritual, but as carnal men. If you double-click this, for those of you that love to do Greek and Hebrew word studies, men of the flesh is translated carnal. It's translated sarkikos, right? Those um, where the fleshly, natural, uh, fleshy nature, nature predominates. So he says, please underline, speak to you. Listen carefully. Paul is saying, I can't speak to you like spiritual. He's not saying I won't speak to you, but I'll speak to you based on your condition. I'll speak to you as carnal. And listen to what he says to them. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are not able to what? Remember, the, even the natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit. Worse still, the carnal man. Paul says, I can't address you the deep things as the deep secret things of God are only decoded by the spirit man, the spiritual man. Paul says, I can't go there right now, so I will hit you on this level. I'll talk to you right here. I'll talk to you on the level that you are. I, you are carnal, so I speak to you. I, as a spiritual man, will address you based on where you are. I can't, there's certain things I can't even talk about because even if I mention them, it's like wasting time because of where you are. Right? This is Paul's mind in addressing the Corinthians. He says, I gave you milk to drink. Now, who do you give milk to? Babies. You give meat to big grown men. Right? right? Solid food. I gave you meat, uh, milk to drink, not solid food. You are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not able. This is like frightening words. Eh? Listen carefully. Paul spent a year and a half, 18 months at Corinth when he founded this church. Sometime after this, he writes this letter. It's like he's, he's appraising one and a half years with this group. He says, even while I was with you for one and a half years, I couldn't speak to you on a certain level because of where 
you were. Listen carefully. The state of a people can inhibit a preacher. I have learned now never ever to judge a man by the content of his delivery. That man might be limited by the state of his audience. So don't be quick to judge now. You, you leave a meeting and you say, poor delivery, poor word, poor content. That man might be a man sent from heaven, but his speaking could have been prescribed by the condition of the people to whom he spoke. We must not let context determine our message. We know this. Right? We speak as the articles of God. But God will never cast pearl before swine. Because of the disestimation, the lack of appreciation, the lack of the ability to encode it. Right? So Paul says, I, I can't speak to you as spiritual men. I speak to you as carnal men. But listen carefully. Verse 3 for me is amazing because please don't only think of carnal as unbridled fleshly dictates that you're struggling with. That is, that is part of it. But carnality is a vast topic. And in this next verse, he gives some other indications of what characterizes people as carnal, sarkikos. For He says, for you are still fleshly. You know, everyone says still. It's like he was with them for a year and a half and he must have picked up these guys are fleshly. And he's absent for a while. He writes this first letter. He says, hey, you are still fleshly. So I can't even take my speaking up a notch to you. Because of where you are, still at. Okay? And then he says, you are still fleshly. For since there is what? Everyone say jealousy. And strife. Right? Jealousy and strife among you. Are you not flesh? The word fleshly here is sarkikos. Carnal. Are you not carnal and you're walking like mere men? Mere men there is natural men. Right? Sukikos. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not near natural men? Right? So here's this interplay between spiritual, natural, and carnal. Now Paul is saying this, listen carefully. Paul is saying, I can't speak to you as carnal because of your fleshly lust. Not just that. He says, other indications in your group tells me the group is carnal. What now? Please, that's why I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, okay, Randall discussed spiritual. That's where I want to be. He went on to natural. Or he started with natural, he went on to spiritual. Maybe I vacillate like Peter between the two. Not too bad. But now he started talking about carnal. That's definitely not me. Because I think I've got my members in check. <laughs> I may have a little few issues, but I'm, I'm trusting God for victory. I'm not involved in overt, habitual sin that characterizes my lifestyle. And you, from now this point on in the Bible study, like you switched off because, and you're thinking of, yes, I'm so glad that person's in the meeting because that segment is for them. Tell your neighbor, everything is for you. You know, when I read this, when I read this, everything is for Randolph. Everything was for me. I'm saying, God, whatever you need to do in my life to get me to be the man of God that you want me to be, a spirit, spiritual man, I'm willing to quickly adjust. Yes, when I ask her, we just come off a, a, a 12-day fast now. And we've been having intense discussion. 
challenging each other about areas in our lives that need need change, right? And the light has been shining on our spirits. And what, what we have both concluded is that whatever it takes, Lord, deal with us that we can be the spiritual people you want. You know why? Because if you're not spiritual... No matter which mighty man of God you are exposed to, even if he does deliver profound teachings to you, you will not have the instrumentation to fully access it. You will never translate it into obedient lifestyle. Right? Now, for example, here it says, I, I summarize it at the bottom. Let's look at it quickly. An examination of First Corinthians 3 revealed, the, revealed that carnality refers to, number one, unchecked sin, unbridled fleshly lust. The state where spiritual infancy is a preferred condition. He says, I can't talk to you as spiritual, but as carnal. Why? He says, because I give you milk, not meat. And I only want to give babies milk. So the, the, the Corinthians stagnated at a certain spiritual level. I therefore conclude, willful, deliberate stagnation in spiritual growth is a carnal characteristic. You might not be overtly involved in any known fleshly sin, but your refusal to grow makes you carnal. There's a new definition of carnality. That's why now the demand is never stagnate. Keep ever growing from level to level. Stagnation now is a sin. Hey, we're redefining sin now. Eh? For us, the requirement and the bar has been, has been raised. Eh? Now, it says, um, so, carnality also is the state where spiritual infancy is a preferred condition with no desire to proceed to maturity. Then, conditions of strife, jealousy, and division. Who's jealous of anybody? Let me just say, if you're envious or jealous or covetous, you're carnal. The condition of jealousy makes you carnal. The condition of strife, of tension in relationships, makes you carnal. Right? Please remember, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. It's hostile towards God. It can't even, it's not even able to know the things that God has in store for it. And then lastly, I put sectarianism or schismatic tribalism. Schismatic is from the word schism, which means division. Tribalism with this allotment or, or the regroupings of tribes. People. So Paul says, how is it that in your group, some are saying, I'm of Paul, some are saying, I'm of Apollos. He says, Carlo, if you show, listen carefully, loyalty to a certain spiritual father, to the point where that allegiance to him becomes a point of division between you and your brother, not in your tribe, but in the other brother who is loyal to another apostle, and that affiliation to separate households causes division in you. As apostolic as you are, you are carnal. Oh, I'm with Thamo. No, I'm with Segi. I'm with Samson Lin. Uh, I'm with Franz Duplessis. No, my spiritual father is Eric Warren. That's fine. But Paul here is saying, how is it? Some of you are saying I'm of Apollos. Some of you are saying it's fine to have that loyalty and we teach that. But that must not be a factor that divides the global body. 
if that allegiance becomes a point of division, you can even use this amongst churches. I am Baptist, I am Methodist, I am Catholic, I am Pentecostal, I am Apostolic. Your affiliation, if it is so, um, you are so loyal to your group that you look disparagingly upon others. I conclude from the scriptures, you are carnal. And there's a level of God's speech and intelligence that will not come to you based on your condition. Hmm? The requirement is now lifted. That is why if you're in this season, under the sound of this word, you have to be reconciliatory in your heart. You have to embrace the entirety of the, the body of Christ. Okay? So no carnal people here tonight. I hope not. Okay? By these definitions. Quickly. Can I take five minutes? That's not really a question. <laughs> I will leave you to read the rest of the scriptures. Let me just do one or two more. Okay, I'll, you can read First Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1 to 7 at home, where Paul says to the same group, Look at verse 3, verse 2. I determined to know nothing among you except what? Christ and Him crucified. That doesn't mean that we must only preach Christ and Him crucified. Paul is saying, to this group who was carnal, I only preach Christ and Him crucified. I couldn't speak the meteor things of the mysteries and the wisdom of God. Look at verse 6. But he says, yet we do speak wisdom, but we only speak it amongst who? Amongst the? Mature. But to you, I only speak Christ and Him crucified. Paul was saying, I will remain with elementary, introductory things in the kingdom. I can't go to the heights and depths of the councils and the mysteries, the secret things that need to be decoded in the mind of God. Right? Can't go there, so I have to stay on the level um, where, where you are at. Now, what I want to focus on as we close is Hebrews chapter 5. Again, I call it dullness of hearing new things. Let's just, let's just read this and we'll close off. Hebrews 5 verse 10. Being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. He's talking about Jesus here as a priest. Remember Melchizedek was also a priest in Abraham's time. A, a, a priest of God most high. And Jesus is after the order of that priesthood, that priestly lineage. So the writer of the book of Hebrews is saying, he's, he, Jesus, is designated by God as a high priest according to the Melchizedek order. Verse 11, concerning him, the him there is not Jesus, is Melchizedek. Concerning this Mel, man, Melchizedek, he says, we have much to say, but it's what? This is the burden of every teacher. Much to say, but hard to explain because of the state of your pupils. Much to say, hard to explain, since you have become what? Dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to have been teachers, but you need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to have need of milk and not solid food. Here again, Paul says to these Hebrew Christians, can't feed you meat, only milk. Everyone who partakes only in milk is not accustomed to the word. Or you should underline the word accustomed. 
The word must become your habit, your ethos, your custom, your regular engagement. Unaccustomed means you've neglected it so much, you've become unaccustomed to the word of righteousness. So you, you have to stay with elementary things all your life. You know, you see this with some churches. I'm not, I'm not being judgmental or speaking disparagingly, but it concerns me if in any one group, the frequency of the teachings or the sermons always stay at a particular level. And there's, the people never grow up and mature for God to speak to them more mature things. Right? But you see this consistently throughout the world. It's always almost like motivational kind of messages. Hold on one more day. God's going to break through any minute. It's that kind of thing that we need to go beyond. We need to grow up and access the deeper things in God. The writer of the book of Hebrews, listen carefully. He starts talking about a man called Melchizedek and he stops in his tracks. He says, I have much things to say about him. But they are hard to explain because of your dullness of hearing. And how does he define dullness of hearing? He says your dullness of hearing is based upon your spiritual infancy and not proceeding towards maturity. It's it's dangerous to stagnate in this season. Now I see it the more. For me. For where you are presently. Please don't stay at the holier. Wherever you are in the Lord, we're all at different places in terms of our understanding and our representation of Christ. My challenge to you is, by next month, at least go to the next level. Don't stay here. You must seek to always grow and mature in the Lord. Everyone say hard to explain. What was hard to explain? It had nothing to do with the ability of the writer or the preacher in this instance. The difficult to explain wasn't due to the lack of understanding in the teacher or his ineptitude. It was purely based upon the dullness of hearing in his audience. He was going to write, you know what, I can sometimes, the donder, what's the donder? These Hebrew Christians. You know why? We are now, we don't know a whole chapter was left out of the book of Hebrews because they were dull of hearing. We don't know certain things because of their dullness. But he actually stops and says, I have much to say, but I have to stop because you are dull of hearing. The things are hard to explain. And you know what? You will forever close yourself off to deep things and further things that God desires to speak to you. Simply because if you look at the next page, on page, top of page 9, the, the word dull is notros in the Greek. It means slothful, Lazy and sluggish. Slothful, lazy and sluggish. Your present stagnation or retrogression in spiritual growth will disqualify you from accessing certain realms of God speaking later on. Your present stagnation in growth will disqualify you from accessing things that God desires to speak to you later on. So it's important that we grow. Chick, chick, John sixteen twelve. What did Jesus say to his disciples? I have many more things to say to you, but what? You can't bear them now. So your capacity to bear what I would like to disclose to you must grow and elevate. And in context, he said, the spirit of truth, 
the Holy Spirit, when He comes, He will guide you into all parts of truth. Okay? Let's close with John 40, 21. He who has my commandments and obeys them or keeps them, he is the one who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will disclose my, my, myself to him. The disclosures of God are our portion. God wants to show himself more and more to us. But our naturalness, our sukikos, and our carnality, our sarkikos, our fleshly nature, our division, our jealousy, our, our refusal to grow, our refusal to leave infancy, and to, be, to grow up in the Lord, to adulthood in, in God, to more mature positions. All of that can prevent us from freely knowing the things that God has, has given to us. My, my encouragement to all of us is that we all seek to be spiritual. Um, in, in context, look at the first page again. In context, if you look at verse 11, who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man? Just check that verse. I mean, it says, in man, no one knows the thoughts of the man like the spirit in that man. That's exactly. Your spirit will know your, the mind of your soul. Right? And then, Similarly, it uses that to say this. Even so, even so, the thoughts of God, no one knows except the, except the, so he, the spirit of, just like the spirit of a man knows the thoughts of a man, the spirit of God knows the, the intelligence or the thoughts of God. He, the spirit has come into your spirit to disclose that. But it's going to have to be on the platform of your the platform of your spirit. Can I, can I urge you not to think like natural people? Not to think based on your natural instincts, on your environment like Peter did. Not to become a suke or sukikos man. Not to be racked by carnality in all its expressions. Because that is going to hinder you. Your mind will actually become hostile towards God. And you won't have the ability to receive it. Next week, I'll show you practical examples of that dynamic, of how carnality literally closes one off to anything spiritual. Right? And that we will walk as, as spiritual men. It must never be said of us, some apostle like Paul would come to the Corinthians. They must come to us and say, I've prepared this, but I can't speak to you on this level, put it away. Let me speak to you on where you are. And you... Issues about Melchizedek, deep things are put away, I can't speak to them. They are hard to explain, not because of my ability, or he the spirit, hard to explain, simply because of where we are as a, as, as a people. The spirit searches, the Bible says, the deep things of God. I just love that verse where it says, No man, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. But by the Spirit, we can know the things that are freely given to us. You can come to that place of knowing the secret things of God that belong to you and to your children forever that you might walk obediently therein. Amen.